Yes, thank you, Chapel, so much. I could listen to him all day long. It's, uh, it's really exciting what's going on. I want to thank Joe, too. Joe's the one who produced that video, and he did such a great job. But uh, thank you for making that possible. Isn't that amazing? Just the people you've never met before. You've had a hand. And, you know, someday in heaven, I think you'll meet some of those people, and they'll say thank you. Thank you for doing that for us. So, really grateful. I want to welcome those who are watching online. We're in John chapter 7, and uh, we're, we're doing one chapter a week. And so please look at that on your phone or in a physical Bible, and I'll walk you through it. All right, John chapter 7. I want to introduce you right off the bat to a word that you'll see in the, in the teaching of Jesus, and we'll come back to it at the end. This word, anyone, anyone. What we're about to hear from Jesus is for anyone, for anyone in this room, for anyone not in this room, all right? Now, John chapter 7 revolves around a festival, a festival. The Jewish calendar was filled with festivals given to them by God. I mean, who doesn't love a good festival, right? What does a festival do? A festival in a community or a region, it celebrates the culture of that region. It celebrates the people of that, of that, of that community. It, it, it celebrates who they are and what they are about. Um, so, festival season is upon us, isn't it? In just a month, we'll have the River Fest in Huron. And in a few months, Milan will have their Melon Festival. And Vermilion has their Festival of Fish. And Port Clinton, not satisfied with the, with the general term fish, they focus on walleye. It's the walleye festival. And all week long, maybe you've heard the hum and the drone of the motorcycles. Is that a festival? I, for some it is. I ride a bicycle, so I can't keep up with them. But it's, it's a fun thing. The, festivals are all around the world. Most societies in the world have some type of festival to celebrate who they are and what they are about. Maybe some of you have been to the the Twinsburg Festival, where they celebrate twins, right? Let me give you some other ones. Maybe you've heard of these, maybe you haven't. There's the Holleran Heritage Festival in North Carolina. Way before phones and texting, they would holler to each other in the rural areas, and they have their own special hollers, so they have contests during this. There's the Cowchip Throw Festival. I can tell already some of you have been there. You just look like you would, that's the festival you would go to. Or maybe, maybe you've been to the Humongous Fungus Festival in, in Michigan. You've got to be a fun guy to go there. Oh, that's so bad. Yeah, I know. And there's the Pumpkin Chunkin' Festival there. I wonder what they do at that festival. And, and, and then, of course, there is the Mike the Headless Chicken Festival in Colorado. That's kind of far to go to. So the one I'm really interested in, and I know a lot of us in here would be interested in the Roadkill Cook-Off Festival in West Virginia. Yummy. Many societies in the world have a festival that celebrates who they are as a people, their culture. Well, as I said earlier, the Israelites, the Jewish nation, they were not without their own festivals. They didn't have a melon festival. They didn't have the roadkill cook-off festival. But they had festivals that God himself gave to them to, to celebrate and remind themselves who they are as God's people. And if you were to go back to Leviticus chapter 23, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, there they are, all seven of them laid out. Let me just 
summarize for you what they are. You've heard of Passover. Passover is where they celebrated their exodus from Egypt, how God delivered them from slavery. And then you come to what's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, perhaps less unknown, but that's where they celebrated the harvest. And in fact, a number of them celebrate the harvest. The Festival of First Fruits, that's where they celebrate the barley harvest and give thanks to God. By the way, Passover was a one-day celebration. Feast of Unleavened Bread was seven days. The Festival of First Fruits, just one day. Another one-day festival, the Festival of Weeks. There again, celebrating the harvest, giving thanks to God and His provision, right? Now, those first four are pretty much related to the spring season. Then getting into the fall season, you've got, whoops, you've got the Festival of Trumpets. That was the beginning of the Jewish civil year. And then you come to the Day of Atonement. You've heard of that. We talk about that from time to time. That's where <laughs> just one day the high priest would go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and make an offering on behalf of the people seeking atonement for their sins, that they may be right with, made right with God. Now that's followed by the last one, which is the Festival of Tabernacles. This was a big deal. It was a seven-day festival. And thousands and thousands of people would come from distant lands as pilgrims to Jerusalem and crowd that entire area. And the reason they came was to commemorate God's provision, how God guided the Israelites, during that 40 years of wilderness wandering as they moved toward the promised land. These are the seven. As I said, chapter 7 revolves around a festival. Which festival do you think it is? It's the last one. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. All of chapter 7 is centered around the Feast of Tabernacles, the Festival of Tabernacles. The words are related. Now, when Jesus was at the Feast of Tabernacles, he said a number of things. But what I want to do is jump right to verse 37 and 38. Because, as many would say, what he says in those verses are like the, the, the pinnacle, the, the highlight, the climax of what he had to say at this Festival of Tabernacles. Like one author said, you know, if you could, if you could take some words of Jesus, and inscribe them in gold leaf. Gold leaf. These would be some of those words. And this is how John records it. On the last day, the climax of the festival, that would be the Sabbath day. It was a seven-day festival. The seventh day was a Sabbath day. On the last day, the Sabbath day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone, there's our word, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone, there's our word again, who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now, I'd like us to understand what Jesus is saying here. But to understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to understand the context of chapter 7. So I think the best way to do that is to try to answer three questions, all right? So here are the questions we're going to try to answer. The first one is, to whom was Jesus speaking? Who was in the crowd? What was the makeup of the crowd? What were they thinking? What were they thinking about Jesus? And here's the second question. Why the Feast of Tabernacles? <laughs> Jesus did everything on purpose. So why say those gold leaf words in this particular setting? And then third question, what was Jesus saying to them, to us? I want us to walk out of here understanding what was the point 
of those gold leaf words. Not just for them, but for you and me. All right? Here's the first question. To whom was Jesus speaking? I grew up in Huron, and uh, go Tigers, and uh, we, would, we, would, we, we grew up going to the water festival. At some point, they changed it to the River Fest. So now and then, my wife and I will go to the River Fest for two or three hours. And sometimes make it over to the Milan Festival. And uh, what, do you, what do you do at one of these local festivals? What do you do there? You, you eat and you talk. What do you eat? You eat salad and celery and no, you eat elephant ears and Berardi fries and ice cream and uh, Italian sausage, and you know, all those really good things, the things that are good for you, right? You eat and you talk. You, you see people maybe you haven't seen for a while, and you catch up. You catch up on family. You catch up on the, I don't know, the weather, the local sports. You catch up on the events of the day and so on. You eat and you talk, right? What do you think they did at the, at the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, it's in the word, feast, right? So they, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Festival of Tabernacles, was considered to be fun and enjoyable. So they ate. What do you think they ate? I don't really know. I know it wasn't Italian sausage. And what do you think they talked about? They probably talked about the things we would talk about. They caught up on family. They caught up on the weather. They talked about the local sports, camel racing, whatever it was. But this was a festival with ritual, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. They talked about the events of the day. But i got to tell you, this Feast of Tabernacles was different, as I'll show you in a moment. On everybody's mind was this question, who is this Jesus, really? Because up to this point, Jesus has performed miracles in different places, and thousands of people have watched these miracles And people have heard this astonishing teaching. You'll read it over and over in Scripture. They were astonished by his teaching. And so they're wondering, who is this guy? And thousands of people, pilgrims coming from distant lands, they've heard about this guy, but they've never seen him before. And they're wondering, who is this guy? So who is Jesus, really? And what we find out is that everybody had an opinion. When you read through chapter 7, you can't avoid it. It just jumps off the page. First time I read it, wow, look at these opinions. I'm going to show you their opinions in in just a moment. Jesus, at the very beginning of the chapter, he tells his brothers he's not going to go, but then he ends up going. It says he went in secret. He really wasn't ready to be made known yet, but he went in secret. I don't know if he wore sunglasses and a wig or whatever, but he went in secret. And, and, and I, the opinions just are all over the map. I don't have this on the screen, but the chapter starts with his very own brothers. John writes, his brothers did not believe in him. Now, eventually, his brothers, like his half-brothers, like James and Jude, they went on to write their own letters, which are featured in the New Testament. So something happened along the way. The resurrection, that's what happened. But when you read through chapter 7, you're going to get such a a spectrum of opinions. I want to show you some of the things that jump off the page. Here we go. Chapter 7, verse 12. Some argued, he's a good man. But others said, he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. 
The people were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much when he hasn't been trained? This guy hasn't been to seminary. They had no idea yet that this was God in the flesh who had access to all truth. The crowd replied, you're demon-possessed. That's a bit extreme. Could our leaders possibly believe that he is the Messiah? Some of the religious leaders apparently were on the fence, like Nicodemus. For we know where this man comes from. When the Messiah comes, he will simply appear. No one will know where he comes from. Ah, now that opinion is based in ignorance because they've never read Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which says the Messiah will come from Bethlehem, right? Many among the crowds at the temple believed in him. After all, they said, would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? How much more can he possibly do? It's got to be the guy. The Pharisees and the leading priests sent temple guards to arrest Jesus. They were still ticked off that Jesus had healed somebody on the Sabbath. Get ready, because in a couple chapters, he does it again. Others said, he is the Messiah. We're convinced. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? Again, kind of out of ignorance. And so the, the, the opinions were all over the map. I love how John summarizes, right? He says, so the crowd was divided about him. Yeah, no kidding. So at one extreme, you've got, you've got people who are saying, he, it's, it's a demon. It's a demon. And you have over here at this extreme, no, he's the Messiah. And you have people in between. And, and some are based on, on things they've seen, and they're convinced or, or, or maybe just out of ignorance. Kind of sounds like our culture today. People who have all kinds of opinions about Jesus, some out of complete ignorance. They've never really thought about it, never looked at the history books, never considered the evidence for the resurrection. And some people who have lots of evidence. They've seen what's happened in their life all across the spectrum. Think about your coworkers. Think about your neighbors. Think about even people in your family. The different opinions that exist about Jesus, or maybe even in this room. We'll come back. We'll come back to those, how Jesus addresses those with the different opinions. Let's go on to the next question. Why the Feast of Tabernacles? Jesus did everything on purpose. Well, it's related to the term tabernacle, the, the, the first reason, right? I mean, let's, let me just go back and say thousands of people are coming. Maybe, maybe Jesus wanted to, to stand up and say these strong words because he had such a massive audience. But I think there were, there were a, a couple of specific reasons, and the one is tied to the, the first reason is tied to the term tabernacle. That's not a term or a word we use very often, tabernacle, is it? It just means a shelter. It means, well, a booth of sorts. In fact, it was also called the Feast of Booths. In fact, as these thousands of people came, the young men in the crowd were charged with putting together makeshift booths out of uh, palm branches and out of poplar branches, and the people would live in these makeshift booths. And they would do this during that week to commemorate how God took care of them in the wilderness as they lived in makeshift shelters. Most scholars would say that 
in, in, in standing up and addressing the crowd at the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus was referring to his first coming and his second coming. Um, in fact, and this is, we can talk about this another time, but, you know, we celebrate Christmas Day in December. That's a whole other story how we arrived at that. But many believe that Jesus was born during the Feast of Tabernacles. And so what he's doing is refer, he showed, he's celebrating his birthday <laughs> at the Feast of Tabernacles, pointing to his first coming. Now, if you, if you go back to the, the very first chapter of John, you remember these words from John? He writes, so the word became human and made his home among us. Made his home, other words we could use are he dwelt among us or the word tabernacle. That's literally the word used by John. He tabernacled among us. So John is pointing to the time when Jesus would come for the, uh, or celebrating the, the, his first coming. But Jesus is also referring to his second coming when one day Jesus will come and reign here on earth physically. He will tabernacle among us. If you were to jump way ahead to Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, it says, And so God tabernacled among his people. So that's one reason that Jesus stands up and says these words at this feast. But there's, there's a second reason that really has much more to do with this idea of living water, which Jesus talks about in those words we've looked at. Water is featured in this, at, at this festival. Let me, let me explain how or why. If you were to go back to Exodus chapter 17, when the, when the people are wandering through the wilderness, the people start murmuring to, to, to Moses. That's what they were known, known for, murmuring. Do you know the term murmuring? It's, it's an on, on, the, the word for it is an onomatopoeia. It's when the, the word sounds like what's try, what it's trying to describe. They were murmuring, 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 murmuring. They were murmuring. They were murmuring because they had no water. Moses, you've brought us here. What the heck? There's no water. And so Moses cries out to God, and God says, Moses, strike the rock with your staff, the same, same staff he used to divide the, the Nile so they could escape Egypt. Strike the rock with your staff, and he did, and water came pouring out. And so what they are celebrating at this festival of tabernacles, they are celebrating the provision of water for the people when they were so thirsty. This is how they celebrated. This is how one commentary puts it. Each day of the feast, except the last day, a golden bowl of water was carried from the pool of Siloam to the temple and poured out at the altar. During the pouring out of the water, the watching multitudes chanted the words from Isaiah, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters with joy. You will draw water from the wells of salvation. Now imagine this, every day for six days, and then there's the seventh day of rest. But for six days, every single day, this golden bowl filled with water is filled and taken and then poured out. And again, they do it again. And every day, they're reminding themselves through this ritual of how God provided water for them in the wilderness. In fact, you know how when you, when you leave a festival or a carnival or maybe a game or something, you'll take a, a souvenir home, maybe a stuffed animal or whatever it might be. Back then, they, they, the, the people could actually take with them a souvenir little bowl reminding them 
of how God provided the water. God provided water for them miraculously from a rock. And so now, every day, they're watching this ritual back and forth, back and forth. Those thousands of people, the crowds of people, they're talking, they're eating, and so on, but they stop to watch the ritual back and forth, back and forth, six days in a row. And then, and then, on the last day, the Sabbath day, when they rest and nobody does a thing, look what happens. Here's our passage again. On the last day, the Sabbath day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now, to our third question. What was Jesus saying to them and to us? Here are the words of Jesus. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now, if you have been following along in the Gospel of John, go back to chapter 4, and some of this sounds like his conversation with this Samaritan woman at the well, doesn't it? Every day she comes to the well to get physical water, and Jesus says, but I have living water for you that leads to what? To eternal life. What is eternal life? What is eternal? That's a good question for us. What is eternal life? Certainly it is life beyond the grave. And you know, the older I get, the more I think about that, life beyond the grave, right? But it's not just that. It's also life right now. It's a full and abundant life right now. It's, it's living life the way God has intended us to live right now. And that's what Jesus wants for you and me, and he can provide that. If we sense that thirst, and if we come to him, and if we drink, and that just means believe, that we transfer our trust from ourselves to him, we believe in him. We believe in his teaching, in his death, in his resurrection. We place our faith in him. We trust in him. That's what Jesus is saying to the woman at the well. That's what he's saying to the crowds. That's what he's saying to you and me. Now, John, who's writing this, he's a little concerned that this last phrase, rivers of living water will flow from his heart, may not be completely understood by his initial readers or by you and me. So John goes on to explain what Jesus means. This is, what he said. this is what he says in verse 39. When he said, when Jesus said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Scripture had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. Entered in his glory means that he's not yet died on the cross, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. That hasn't happened yet. In Acts chapter 2, when Pentecost comes, that's when the Holy Spirit comes. Let me just do a little theology 101 for you, just for a moment, all right? <laughs> when, when, a, when, a, when a person puts their, their, their faith in Jesus, and many of you have, some of you have met, may have not, but when that happens, something miraculous happens. God joins his spirit with yours. 
His Spirit comes to actually live within. And the first thing the Holy Spirit does is regenerate you. He gives you new life. He gives you new life. And then the Holy Spirit goes to work and begins to shape within you the image of Christ. And that happens until the day you see Jesus personally. And the job of the Holy Spirit is to work out of you things like love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, the things that, that God wants to see happen in our lives. That, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. He gives us eternal life and then works out that life as we go through life. All right? Now, <clears throat> I want to ask you a question. Who's eligible? Who's eligible for eternal life? Who's eligible for the Holy Spirit? Who qualifies to receive the Holy Spirit? Who? Yes. It brings us back to our passage. Anyone. It's so easy to read right past that word. Anyone. 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 Remember who Jesus is talking to, those thousands of people. There are some people there who said, he's a demon. Some people say, no, he's a, he's a fraud. And some people say, I don't know. And some people say, well, he's a good person. And some people say, he's a prophet. And some people say, no, he's the Messiah. And Jesus looks over that crowd, and what does he say? Anyone. Anyone. You come to me. And drink. And I will give you the gift of eternal life. The Holy Spirit will come to live within anyone. I was reading a, a book, and, and Richard Baxter is a, a Puritan pastor from many, many years ago. I love these words of his. Look at this as we celebrate the idea of anyone. If my name, Richard, he's writing, if my name, Richard, had been on the invitation list to come to Jesus I would have feared the invitation belonged to some other who had the same name. But since the Lord said any, I knew even I was welcome. Anyone. Anyone. Anyone in this room. Anyone not in this room. Any neighbor you can think of. Any coworker you can think of. Any family member you can think of. Regardless of where they are in their opinions, he's a demon. Or out of total ignorance, I don't know. Or he's the Messiah. Any, anyone. Anyone who's, who's lived their life going to church and been so religious but still feels void of God because they've never turned their life over to Christ, that person. Anyone who's made incredibly immoral decisions and feels so disqualified from having God in their life, Anyone. It's for anyone. Everyone is born with a thirst. And sometimes that thirst becomes so obvious. And just like God miraculously provided physical water for the people in the wilderness, Jesus can miraculously provide living water that leads to eternal life for every one of us. 
even those people that you think might be disqualified, if they thirst, they can come and they can drink. And by the way, just for the, the nerds in the room, in the original language when John writes this, he puts it in what's called the present tense. What that means is continuously, ongoing. In other words, as a Christian, even though you've been a Christian for a long time, yes, you come to Jesus, you believe in Jesus, and you're saved by Jesus. But we are to keep coming and keep drinking and keep believing. It's for anyone. Now that's worth having a festival for. That's worth having a feast for. In fact, Jesus introduced a feast to his followers and to you and me. When you came in, you should have received a, a container with the bread and the, and the, and the juice. And uh, if you don't have one, f- feel free to raise your hand and someone can bring it to you. Um, <clears throat> this feast is called the Lord's Supper. We call it Communion. God provided physical water for the people in the wilderness and has satisfied their physical thirst. Jesus is anticipating the cross. Just as Moses struck the rock in the wilderness and water came out of that smitten, riven, stricken rock, Jesus anticipates the cross where he will be stricken and smitten. As he takes the the judgment of God onto himself, as he takes your sin and my sin onto himself, so we would never have to experience that separation from God. And as a result of our faith, our belief in Jesus, he gives us not physical water, but the living water that satisfies our souls and our hearts, our deepest desires. Let's pray. And now, God, as we hold this, the bread and the cup, just take a moment in your own mind, in your own heart, and privately say to God, confess to him anything you need to confess. And in the very next breath, would you take a moment and thank God that he forgives you? As far as the east is from the west, thank him for that forgiveness. And then in the last breath, just a word of commitment to Jesus, I will follow you. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this bread represents my body given for you. Whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat it together. And then Jesus took the cup and he said, this represents my blood, the new covenant, shed for you. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me.
What we've just done is had a feast. Not the Feast of Tabernacles, but the Feast of the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. God, thank you now for this time to come before you and to remember what you have done for your people and what you do for your people. Living water that leads to eternal life. We are grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.